Yo, crew, welcome to the Skippy Report. Hey, crew, Skippy of the Skippy Report here with the owners of Forager Farms, Aaron Bodashevsky and Tyler Davis. Welcome. What's going on, podcast world? How you doing, Skip? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Really good, really good. Good, how, yeah. Watching how, the snow outside the window here. Oh yeah, isn't it great waking up this morning to that nice fresh powder? Yeah, it was spring, and then today it's winter again. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good thing because every time the snow starts to thaw out, I start to think, okay, it's time to get stuff done for the farm, but. Uh, since everything's frozen over now, you know, we don't really have much of a choice. We're going to have to hibernate a little bit longer. <laughs> I think that's okay. I was going to say, you probably don't have a problem hibernating after all those long hours you put in the field during the growing season. No. Oh, no. No problem at all. And th- this is our, our, well, we're going into our fifth season, but this will be the first year that we've actually been able to take a pause over the winter without maybe going back to work and being busy with that. So we're, we're taking this opportunity to really rest uh, you know, plan for our next season, make sure we have everything in place and, uh, and yeah, really just reflect upon what happened in 2020. Oh, that's awesome. It's nice that, yeah, you both don't have to go back. If, uh, maybe you guys can tell people what you used to do in your off seasons. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a background in the chef world. So I finished high school. I was kind of into eating healthy and just living healthy and that led me into getting into the culinary world of organic food and mostly vegetarian at the time because I was just kind of dabbling with being vegetarian and uh yes I was I've been a chef the past 10 years I traveled a little bit in uh, Mexico and Malaysia and then I wound up back in my hometown in Oshawa uh about eight years ago six uh six yeah, seven years ago. And uh, yeah, so then naturally from being involved in the food world, that led me to being interested in where our food comes from, where it's grown, how it's grown, uh, having a grandfather with a garden, it automatically just was in my world. So uh, yeah, this is my first winter not having to be a chef because as we know, the restaurant industry is quite affected by COVID right now. And uh, I took it as a sign to take the winter off. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we did okay this year as our, on our fourth year farming. So we feel a bit more financially stable to alleviate ourselves this winter and just focus on our mental health and physical health. Nice. And yeah, Tyler, what do you do? Uh, well, yeah, I have a, a background in the trades world. My grandfather was an aircraft mechanic and my dad a carpenter locksmith and they they had always uh, they always told me that it'd be a good idea to get a trade to get some life skills before going say going back to school so uh so that i pursued that going straight out of high school i became a welder fitter fabricator and uh and then from there became a sheet metal mechanic finishing my five-year apprenticeship doing that and um yeah at the end of my fifth year i uh i always had maybe starting a business in mind throughout the whole apprenticeship. So I was very keen on learning, 
uh, and absorbing all the knowledge and information in order to be able to start my own business. But I had never thought that I'd start a farm business. I'd always thought I'd start another trades business. Uh, but I guess farming is very similar to the trades, and it's got a lot of uh, got, got a lot of perks. I guess that that some trade jobs don't have, like the ability to work outside, uh, the ability to work from home, um, and be more active and taking a role in raising my son Cypress. And so I transferred from doing that kind of trades work to starting my own farm business instead of starting a trades business. So, uh, so here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. You know what? Like um, I have a daughter, you guys know this, but the people in podcast world wouldn't that uh, she lives out in the country. She's she has an acre of land and she started growing chickens and that sort of stuff. But it's, it's interesting that, you know, with, covid and all that sort of stuff going on and people with food insecurity the interest in growing your own food and growing your own uh, chickens and cows and and that sort of stuff that you know you you have this whole life sort of uh endeavor going on so you guys are you know growing your own food growing food for other people and you have your family there you know with you the whole time yeah. It's a good, healthy way to raise a family. Yeah, and and it also seems to be an outlet for other people who are also interested in growing their own food and raising livestock and things like that, but are kind of just starting on their way to their journey of homesteading. Um, and I think maybe that's how we, we met you. Um, and Sean initially was your interest in, in helping us out doing our garlic crop. Is that correct? Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I think I was following you on Instagram and then I saw there was a kind of a call out there for some help for harvesting garlic. And it's like, Hey Sean, you wanted to go do this? They're like just up here in the Hills. Yeah, for sure, man. So yeah, we always enjoy coming up and helping you guys. Yeah. You've helped us for two, at least two seasons in a row with our garlic, either planting or harvesting or both. And we, yeah, we really appreciate the extra help for those big jobs that we have. Uh, in the season, there's only there's only a few times in the year where I'm sweating, thinking, "Oh, how are we going to get all this done?" And you know, Aaron throws out a call out for some volunteers, and lo and behold, you know, we end up getting a handful of people, if not more. And, and it's it, usually the same people. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little fan club. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it's like you know, you see old friends we haven't seen them in a year or, or ten months, and we get together outside, and and it, you know what, working outside easy to physically distance and uh, get jobs done yeah yeah so it's awesome the more barrier you know you can come bring bring a couple cans of beer bring some snacks we normally have somewhat of a barbecue or something going for food for people and and you get to take some garlic home or some produce home at the end of the day uh to celebrate all the harvest and and all the hard work that we put in over the day so yeah we'll, we'll be sure to throw out some more volunteer days for this season that's actually how we got involved in farming too though we volunteered at multiple farms oh, really? before we started our farm oh, and we found yeah we found that the most beneficial way to learn from the other farmers the other folks with their own businesses making the mistakes and learning on the way well, I, I was I was just going to say that, like, you know, just from the short time that we've come up to help you guys, you know, it's like osmosis. We have conversations while we're working and you're just, you know, sponging up the information that uh, different people are sharing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. 
That's kind of cool. So that that's that's uh, taken in a lot of the questions that I had uh, set up to talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say you guys are located between Port Hope and Coburg, up in the hills on the fifth concession, but yes. you don't necessarily own your own farm, correct? Yes, correct. Um, my dad, I grew up in Oshawa, and then my parents divorced, and my dad remarried a woman from Port Hope. So that's kind of what brought me out this way to begin with. Uh, I would go and visit him, and I looked up some local farms to see if I could help them out. And uh, Headwaters Farm, they had an ad online, so I reached out, and I was kind of like a little once-in-a-while volunteer. Whenever I would visit my dad, which was quite random, I would just come over and see what they are up to and lend a hand for a day or a few days. And uh, that was about six, seven years ago now. And uh, then a few years later, Tyler and I were kind of just getting into thinking about gardening a bit more seriously on, on a business level because we were gardening on a, a rental property. Like we were just in a house that had an acre around it and Tyler started his first little experimental garden there uh, while also working both full-time jobs. Um, and that kind of gained us our level of confidence in knowing that we want to like take this a little bit farther and take it more seriously. So um, we realized that we couldn't necessarily afford land quite yet, so we decided to get creative. And um, I was led to the website called farmlink.net, and it's for people who have land or who want to collaborate, and they post an ad on the website. And so Headwaters Farm had an ad on there just saying that they were looking for, I think at the time it was like a they have a permaculture garden. They were just looking for a gardener to take care of their permaculture garden. And so we kind of changed it through our desires, which were to also start our business. So they, we ended up with a memorandum of understanding with Headwaters Farm of uh, like a 10 year uh, lease. And um, now we're going into our fifth year. It has changed over just recently to us just being, renters but the first three years it worked out that we were bartering for um for renting basically so we figured out a fair way to share our time and resources with them for their business and in exchange they gave us their land to grow on and access to um buildings and hydro and water and uh yeah so just because recently our business has grown quite a bit and theirs has changed a little bit as well ended up being that we're just straight up renting now and uh it's worked out really good so they've they've essentially kind of incubated our farm in a way and uh we we consider them our farm partners because we do have a lot of collaboration aspects going on they cross through it with us and we cross cross through it with them and then uh their their friend is a beekeeper on the property he's got a few places that he beekeeps but this is one of about four locations and uh, he's another partner, so we offer his honey and his candles. And, uh, yeah, we're just going into our next stage. There's there's a potential severance of this property that is still in the works. And uh, they've asked us to be the, the <clears throat> right of, what do you call it? The... They've given us the right of first refusal on our lease. Um, so, yeah, they, they totally plan on severing and selling 
the portion of the property that we are currently farming, although our lease does carry over. So if there are any new home buyers besides us that were to buy this place, we would still be able to farm the land and have access to one of the uh, outbuildings that we're currently occupying, although we would lose the house. So that's, that's the only stipulation. If we lose the house, we kind of lose a place for workers to stay and, you know, access to a kitchen and, and bathroom and septic and things like that, that are kind of crucial for our business. So, um, yeah, we're kind of, we got our fingers crossed that 2021 is going to be another great year for us and that we're able to, uh, come up with what it takes to put a down payment on this place and maybe become the owners of a, of a farm property, which would be great because originally we had planned, you know, a good five, six years of farming before we, you know, dive in and, and get a mortgage with the bank and rely on our farm to be able to, uh, pay that mortgage. And, you know, we just started learning too. So there's a bit of a steep learning curve involved, but there's also the fact that the farm needs to kind of have a presence over a span of time, just like any other business to, uh, to get recognized and, and, uh, and be able to accumulate some more customer base so that we can depend on our community to help us be able to, uh, to afford to do this endeavor. Although if we, uh, if we don't buy this property, you know, we're still open to having more partnerships with people either on the purchase of this land or, you know, in a similar agreement where, you know, we come and help you get started or you have a, a chunk of land that's viable enough to start a vegetable garden on, you know, we're still open to the idea of moving the farm around and, and just accommodating our, our farming experience into the future. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, farmers don't always own the land that they work. They lease it from other people. So you might have, you know, city people come out and buy a hundred acre farm and they don't know what to do with the land. And, uh, you know, I grew up on my uncle's farm, a dairy farm in Southwestern Quebec. And, you know, if he needed more uh, acreage for crops, you know, there was a guy down the road who had a couple hundred acres and he didn't actively farm it and he would just lease it out for a uh, tax rate. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. That's a very common arrangement amongst like, you know, larger field cash cropping farmers. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a lot of open land is good for growing grains and, and grazing livestock on pasture and things like that. Although uh, I would say vegetable farming needs somewhat of a specific piece of land. It can't just be like, hey, I got 100 acres. Do you want to use the back five or whatever? Like, you know, it's, it's wide open. We don't do anything with it. Go ahead. It's all yours. Right. It's easier said than done to be able to move a, a vegetable operation onto any random chunk of land that might be just accessible. Right, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very specific kind of piece of land, and the land we're on here, we're we're kind of on top of a hill, uh, and anywhere you go, there's going to be different limitations involved, pros and cons with the land. Um, so we're very aware of that. But where we got started, we're on a bit of a top of a hill, where it plateaus, and it's a very good growing spot. Um, I guess about 80 years ago, there was a vegetable garden in the in the space that we're growing on. Uh, although we have expanded now to two acres, so it's probably a little bit bigger than it used to be. But uh, but yeah, when we're looking for land, we're, we're looking for a few very specific things to be able to to grow the farm on and be be efficient while we're doing that. Because efficiency is the thing that will separate a successful farm from one that just will inevitably fail. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of people who get doing things like that, and then they just kind of start spinning their wheels and get caught in the same track all the time and, and not moving forward. Because mm-hmm. you started with one acre, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it was, pro- it was probably more like like half acre, to be honest, in okay. our first year. Right. Yeah, we got started with a half an acre. We um, Before that, the year before, the experimental garden was like an eighth of an acre left. So we were gra- we've been gradually expanding the farm. And uh, we've been going basically a half acre every year since we've started and to the point where now we're at two acres um, with about a half an acre that we cultivated the land and we're going to just grow cover crops on next year to in- increase soil organic matter right. and uh, and graze some goats and chickens on as well um, to bring up that biodiversity and soil microbes. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we talk about you guys operate a CSA, correct? Yes. And so maybe you can educate the listeners to what a CSA is. Yeah. So uh, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And uh, there's many benefits to it for both the farmer and the consumer. Uh, For the consumer right now, especially, there's a food security uh, benefit to it. Just knowing that whatever's the effect, the trickle effect of COVID and uh, that will reflect on our food system. Um, just recently, we've had a huge surge of CSA members because of probably their insecurities over food. So uh, people are recognizing that the CSA is a way to give the farmer their money in, in exchange for knowing that they'll have vegetables that season. And then the farmer's benefit is that it's, it's giving us money um, maybe during a slow time of year where we're making big investments for the whole season, buying seeds, new tools, um, new equipment, uh, reinvestments in things. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the benefit. And then it goes, for us, we do an 18-week CSA program. So it starts in um, June and then it goes until like mid-October. And so every week people come to our pickup spots. We have four different spots, uh, the Coburg Farmer's Market and then two in Peterborough, which are the Wednesday Peterborough Farmer's Market and the, the Saturday Peterborough Regional Farmer's Market and then our farm. So uh, each week people come to those locations and they pick up their bag. And then we have uh, two rotating bags. So then the following week they'll bring us back their empty bag and then we'll give them their other bag full. That's so uh, it also allows people to be more connected to eating in season. <clears throat> it uh, gets people getting quite creative with uh, veggies. Maybe they wouldn't necessarily pick out themselves because our CSA is farmer's choice. So we are picking out what goes in their bag as opposed to a customized bag where people might have certain health health uh, allergies to vegetables or, or dislikes from kids or personal favorites. Um, so yeah, I find it gets people really creative. It gets them fermenting and pickling and preserving, um, gets them more in line with the flavors of the season and yeah, just more understanding of Ontario food. Right. Yeah. I know. I remember, oh, I don't know how long, it was quite some time ago, probably before you were out this way, I had, uh, we had joined a CSA with the same you know, a bag or two every week of uh, fresh produce. 
And uh, mm-hmm. my kids who are younger at the time, they might have been like 10, 11, 12. They're like, oh, my gosh, this food ever tastes different, tastes richer, better. And, uh, and, and I like the, the variety when I was up at your place. I think it was later in the growing season, and I picked up some of those uh, watermelon radishes. <laughs> those are awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, those ones are the highlights of the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I let Cat just kind of pick through uh, pick through the vegetables, and I went on yeah, recommendations. That's that's the cool thing. And, uh, yeah, because we do grow 30 to 40 different types of vegetables and even multiple cultivars of those vegetables. There's bound to be something different every single week. But we do try to make sure people get uh, the basics, like a salad right. mix base and then some salad components and then some veg to roast up yeah. and some to just straight up eat raw or pickle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, because I mentioned cat, so you guys employ interns, correct? Yeah, that's correct. We normally have uh, two interns every season that come at the start of May. Um, which is when, you know, we really need to get a lot of those seedlings that have been growing in the nursery for about two months or three months out into the field. So there's a big push to get a lot of seedlings at that time. And so, yeah, we have our, our interns start in May and they end at the end of October. And um, the interns, they, they really, over the years, they've really varied from people who have, you know, taken courses in school or college for sustainable farming and agriculture or people who are just like, you know, uh, vegetable growers and, and enthusiasts who think they might want to have their own farm, but really just want to have the experience of growing over a full season on a farm before they take the big leap to, uh, to people who are unsure of what they want and are in a transitional phase, uh, sometimes, you know, beyond our, our knowledge, maybe going through an existential crisis where they just want to get out of the city and be on the farm, be on the land, not really think about all their bills and everything and just take it day by day and enjoy their time here while they learn and while they uh, gain the experience to just be able to grow their own food, you know, for the rest of their lives. Cause at the very least here, that's, you know, that's what you're going to get. You're going to become familiar with like Aaron said, 30 to 40 different vegetables and, and different growing techniques, uh, the seasonality, succession planting pest. and yeah, pest, pest control. Uh, I think, above all uh, yeah <laughs> is uh, one of the things that they're going to learn so for us last year i think was our biggest year for pest issues and it might even because you know because we're growing our farm incrementally bigger and bigger even right. though we're still only at two acres it's still a micro farm i feel like that half acre the insects like flew by they're like oh look there's something going on there oh well we'll just move on you know where right, our yeah. spot is but last year they they flew by and they're like whoa this is really happening let's like Let's stop off here and maybe, you know, spend the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I know when um, on my daughter's uh, garden, she was coming across the tomato hornworms, and so we did a little bit of research in it, and we found that you could harvest them at night. So I got her an ultraviolet light. She went out at nighttime, and then, oh, my gosh, they just, like, light up like nothing, and you just wow. walk through the tomatoes and just pick them all off, you know, and then she feeds <laughs> them to her chickens. That's brilliant. I've never heard of that technique. Come on. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got this ultraviolet light off of uh, Amazon for like I think it was less than twenty dollars, and it's just like a little flashlight, and she just walked amongst her tomatoes, and the the worms they glow like uh, iridescent marshmallows. 
<laughs> yeah, freaky alien iridescent marshmallows. Yeah, those, exactly. Yeah, those things will raise the hairs on your arm. Oh they're, yeah, yeah. They're freaky looking. Uh, I remember our first year. The first one that I've ever seen was like some kind of mutation of of a <laughs> tomato hornworm. It was big and brown and green, and ne- I've never seen a brown purpley one since. Oh really? Wow. So it was weird. I went to show my friend uh, Nikita, who was who ended up being our, our first intern. Um, I showed her. She like looked at it and literally screamed and ran out of No me. way. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I didn't sign up for this. What is that thing, man? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, yeah, the interns have been a fun experience, and, and we're happy to uh, share our knowledge and experience as we go uh, with our journey farming and and we find that a lot of people that are interested in coming to our farm are interested because we are where we are in our in our development and along our journey. Um, just kind of starting from scratch, just bootstrapping the whole thing. You know, we're leasing land and we have a partnership with uh, Headwaters Community Farm here too. So there's that aspect of like how that arrangement works out and what our relationship is and how, how we're able to gain access to land with, um, you know, fairly low cost uh, to be able to get the farm started and invest in all the equipment needed to make it efficient enough to actually earn an income on. So, yeah, a lot of people are interested in, in that aspect of the farm. And we're fairly open. You know, we're, we're new farmers. We're learning every year. We're implementing new things year to year. And, uh, and next year, you know, or sorry, this year, the 2021, we're going to have, uh, we've invested into a tractor and we've invested into a new uh, 30 by 150 foot greenhouse. So the farm is starting to look like a legitimate operation. Nice. Um, more than like a backyard homestead kind of thing where we're just selling to markets and yeah. we're picking up a lot more customers. So we need that type of infrastructure to keep everything viable. And yeah. and so right, right in this moment, you might come to our farm and be like, well, there's a lot going on. Um, but in previous years, it, it was just like, hey, we just introduced a, a new tool. It's called a cooler. <laughs> you know, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're no longer, you know, uh, bumming space from the, the walk-in cooler that's down two flights of stairs from our neighbor neighbor farmer's property. Right. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a, it's been definitely a wild ride for us, and, and we share all our experiences with anyone interested in coming to learn from us. Yeah, I know. I've, whenever I've been up there and picking up some groceries or produce from you guys, I you know I find you in the field because I know uh, with the potatoes at Kieran's Garden, we were having problems with uh, rodents. So you told me told us what to do. So when we were prepping her beds this year, we made sure that the edges were nice and big and clean, and nothing will uh, get hidden. So that they have open space, so that the uh, their predators can pick them off. Hopefully, oh, is that what you advise them? Oh yeah, for sure. Because those those edges, and you'll learn this from a lot of orchard growers, is you know those are the places where uh, quote unquote pests like to live and, and create burrows, and it's the perfect habitat in the long grasses to be able to uh, take shelter from predators. So right, yeah. in orchards, you know, there you can manage them over the summer, but once winter hits. And the snow comes, then they can dig little tunnels and, and ring trees and kill your trees. Right. But yeah. it's a garden, they take habitat and uh, and they eat your vegetables underneath your very expensive insect netting and things like that. And you wonder what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's an advantage to using, you know, mulches like straw or hay, um, 
mulches on your vegetable crop. But there's also disadvantages because, yeah, a lot of field mice will, will come in there and make habitat. And when you go to harvest and, and flip the garden beds in, into something new, like another planting, right. then you're disrupting them and you're having to, you're having to uh, basically evacuate them out of your garden space just so you can plant again. Right, yeah. So we use mulches on, on specific crops that most most animals aren't really interested in, like uh, like garlic, for instance, and and some broccoli and cabbage, cauliflower. Um, but generally, we're trying we're trying to make sure that there's a lot of space for those plants to grow into, and uh, and it's not too wet because then you can kind of get diseases and fungal right. fungus and stuff like that happening. Yeah. So yeah, there's pros and cons to it. Yeah. Now, I was wanting to get back to the, the CSA and the, the land that you guys have. How, how many members you provide produce for off of, uh, off of an acre and a half, two acres? Well, we do more than just the CSA. So yeah. I guess I, you could probably explain more so how much CSAs technically two acres could provide for how many families. But what we do is restaurants and farmers markets and CSA. So within those that acre and a half, um, we have 60 CSA members. Um, we do four farmers market, uh, three farmers markets, and Rico, which is a like a Facebook uh, hosting where people order online and then you go to a location for an hour. Oh, okay. And uh, restaurants, we have anywhere from like five core restaurants who are quite active with ordering and then we get like another five to eight to kind of order here and there. Right. Uh, so yeah. you're, you're, you're able to provide quite a bit. A lot of people think, geez, you know, you have to have a lot of land to provide for yourself, but you don't really have to. Well, so more recently we've been going over the uh, economics of the farm and the, and, um, you know, we're, we're leasing land right now. So on our acre and a half, we're able to definitely, you know, pay ourselves, pay the interns, uh, and deal with the, all the overhead expenses and reinvest into our farm incrementally, which just means, you know, another greenhouse or, you know, making our irrigation system a little bit better, things like that. Uh, although, you know, to pay, to pay a mortgage on a 50 acre property, we might have to grow a little bit more than that. Right. Um, so it all depends on what your overhead costs are and, and where, what, what scale you want to grow your farm to. And then, you know, the price of land that you buy as well. And so we found that initially we were like, Oh, should we put a down payment on some land? Can we get started? And we'd have to go further and further North or Northeast to do that, which is further from any economic center. Right. Uh, and also we, we figured, you know what, if we did that, we'd kind of be isolating ourselves out there and, further from friends and family who, who would be happy to support us if we were closer. So right. instead of doing that, we, we, you know, we found some awesome people who were interested in, in having a bit of a partnership and we could, we could be closer uh, to Port Hope, Coburg, Peterborough, and even Durham region. Um, so yeah, there, there's that aspect. So our farm's been doing great so far. Uh, we've invested into a new greenhouse and a tractor and you put a well in too this year, didn't you? In the summertime. That's right. Oh yeah, the well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 250 foot deep. Why'd you remind us? Sorry. <laughs> we we actually had a lot of support on that project. Um, yeah. it, it was quite an expensive ordeal, and um, 
you know, we, uh, our intern actually, Phoebe from last year, we were going through some drought issues and she's a particularly emotionally sensitive person. There were moments where we were just like clearly stressed and, and overtaken by a few of our crops, you know, dying in the field or having right, to choose yeah. between watering these ones and letting these ones go. And, and so we were dealing with the stresses of that and she was the kind of bearing witness to it and said, you know what? let's like maybe start a GoFundMe page. We'll see if there's any community support out there. And I was a little skeptical and, and well, not skeptical. I knew maybe there would be some support, but you know, we're, we're more like self-sufficient people. We're like, no, we can, we'll figure it out. We'll do it. We can do it. But honestly, the the help from our community was super inspiring and we were able to raise about half the money that we needed to, for our portion of the investment into the well through GoFundMe. So that was a huge help. So yeah, now we have uh, seemingly abundant well, like it, it's pushing out more than twelve gallons a minute. Wow, which That's is good. great. Yeah. yeah, we have the greenhouse, we have the tractor. The tractor, we haven't compromised on any of our our beliefs and 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 growing soil here with the tractor. Some people, once you move the tractor scale, you're kind of just like, you know, you're driving all over the place. You're cultivating with big cultivators. You're doing more broad acreage, and you're not really considering the right. soil health as much as you were to if you're doing the permanent raised bed system that we've uh, we've adopted here from John Martin and yep. Elliot Coleman. Um, so we've we've been able to to really look at look at our system, put it in focus, and customize uh, a, a tractor to fit the spacing of the new system that we've created to to accommodate for that same system of being able to to grow soil life and, and have less soil compaction. And meanwhile, be able to get jobs done a lot quicker with less physical strain. Because we were finding in the middle of the summer, uh, you know, we have to do a bunch of weeding and do some bed prep, say. And it's the middle of the summer. It's 35 degrees. People are super tired already. And we're out there with hand tools hoeing away to get the weeds. And, right. and we're using buckets and shovels to bring compost onto our 180 garden beds that we plant multiple times through the season. So. Uh, we we're lucky to have a little gator utility vehicle here on the community farm that we can borrow once in a while to do that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, not having a tractor to be able to at least load the buckets with compost or, or prep a bed quickly or be able to, you know, manage pathways, weeds on pathways at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those, those three investments are obviously the biggest ones we've probably made on the farm to date, but we're hoping that uh, we can leverage our skills and abilities that we've gained with all our small farm tools um, to make, to make things a bit easier for us, open up a bit of time, um, drop, drop the physical labor a bit and hopefully transfer that into more harvesting of vegetables, which will, which will relate to maybe a little bit more cash flow at the end of the season. So that all those things we're hoping will, uh, will get us to the point where we feel like uh, we can maybe afford a farm of our own one day and own the means of production, which is, which is a big issue internationally now these days. Right. Yeah. You, you, when you're talking about a tractor, like Kieran's only got a one acre homestead and they do other things here. Her boyfriend's a diesel mechanic and they, you know, he's got to lift engines and that sort of stuff. So they bought themselves a used 25 horsepower Cub Cadet tractor, you know, with a front end loader. And so whenever I'm up there uh, working her garden, cause what we've done is because I grew up on a farm and know a fair amount, 
I share my knowledge and my work and we buy the seeds and do all the soil prep work and all that sort of stuff. And then she gives us the land and then we just share the bounty. But it mm. sure makes it nice when I have to go get manure and all that sort of stuff. I got a front end loader on the on a tractor and I got a buddy with a dump trailer and makes life really easy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that you can you know, you can put the appropriate physical energy in the right place. Yeah, that's it. Like we don't want to be burning out when we know that we have a whole other half season ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the tractor will be the savior. Right. Yeah, I mean, and the the water will be the other savior. Oh yeah, yeah. Water, <laughs> water's key. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I think uh, we're getting near that time. So uh, I just for uh, people out there, you can find uh, Forager Farms on Instagram at Forager Farms. Um, yes. Where else can we find you? Um, Instagram definitely where we're the most active. Uh, we are now starting to put our, our uh, push for our CSA sales online. So, yeah, it's all pretty much through Instagram and then it connects through Facebook. Um, but currently we're, we're in hibernation mode. So if you right. do really want to find us, you can come to the farm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. But throughout the, throughout the growing season, we do welcome anyone to come. We're uh, pretty open doors here. So for people to see where their food's coming from and just get to know all of us farmers here because it's a real delight when people make their way to us and it gives us purpose when we're handing the vegetables from our hands or from the garden to, our, to, the, to the customer's hands. So. Yeah, it's, it's a big education for people. Even though we live in a small rural, rural community, you know, kids in my classes as a former educator, you know, they don't have a connection to their food. They don't know where it comes from. And I know my daughter, when she was trying to figure out how much to sell her eggs for, mm-hmm. and then she figured everything all out. She had this little spreadsheet and, you know, feed and this, that, and the other thing. And I said, now you know why, Kieran. People think farmers are really wealthy, but you know what? They work awfully hard for, you yeah. know, just a, a small amount of uh, income. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty frugal. We we live a pretty bare minimum life, yeah. but the whole the whole idea is that we're we're living a more self sustainable, self sufficient life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a real treat and reward to see that our cold cellar's full of our own vegetables. Yeah, that's really rewarding. Eh? When you want to get some salsa, you can just go down into your cold <laughs> cellar and. Yeah, not to make you jealous, but I'm sure you got that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, because I don't know, man, our tomato crop was gigantic, and, you know, the Sean and Kieran, they put up a bunch of spaghetti sauce and all sorts of different type of salsa. It's it's awesome, and then when you get to your last jar, it's like, oh, I got to go to the grocery store and get some. Yeah, I know, so funny shopping as a, a person who grows their own, their own food. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like you turn your head at a lot of the food, you're like, nope. Yeah, that's nope. like our eggs. You know, K- Kieran got into the eggs because she bought some eggs. And uh, I w- I'll shoot you a picture of what her eggs look like. But when I show people, they're like, they look just like Cadbury Easter eggs. Oh, wow. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, she put a post on this homestead page and people were like, how'd you get your eggs like that? How do you keep getting, you know, it's, it's the middle of winter time. She's only got 10 laying hens. and She get, averages five to six eggs a, a day. Sometimes it's down to three. But you know wow. what? Mo- I know some people who have flocks with more than twenty hens, and they're getting two or three eggs a day. So her birds yeah. are pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it must be that uh, 
that mobile chicken coop that you built. It's a bit of a mansion. They're living. Oh the yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're living the high life. <laughs> Actually, yeah. that's what they're adding this year. We're doing some some laying hens. Nice. But that that can be another conversation. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anyways, I just want to thank you guys very much for uh, being part of the first full episode of the Skippy Report. And if uh, people aren't quite sure if you're local, where to find Aaron and Tyler, you can just uh, hit me up on Facebook or on Instagram, and uh, I'll point you in the right direction. Great. And so yeah. I, I look forward to coming out to the farm and, and doing this too. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the call, Skippy. We're looking forward to having you back. It's going to be a great 2021 for sure. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, looking forward to doing maybe a few more of these talks. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, different different parts of the year and the different growing seasons, eh? Yeah, sure. All right, everybody. Cool. Thanks, thanks for uh, listening in to the Skippy Report. And uh, thanks again to uh, Aaron and Ty for uh, participating. All right, brother. Take care. We'll see you soon. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah.